Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching Matters. This program is produced and recorded in the studios of WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The National Teacher of the Year program is the oldest and most prestigious honors program focusing attention on teaching excellence. Candidates for the National Teacher of the Year must be selected as a State Teacher of the Year and also demonstrate excellence in the classroom, leadership, collaboration, and the ability to effectively express their personal stories about teaching. This episode of Teaching Matters is part of a series of programs discussing teaching effectiveness with Teachers of the Year Award recipients. My guest for this episode is the 2017 Indiana Teacher of the Year, Yitka Nelson, who teaches English and Language Arts at Logansport, Indiana at Logansport High School. Located approximately midway between Chicago and Indianapolis, Logansport High was established in 1871, serves grades 9 through 12, and has an enrollment of approximately 1,200 students. Before starting our discussion with Yitka, we begin with a short audio clip where she discusses the importance of giving students voice. That clip was recorded by NWEA, the non-for-profit assessment solutions provider who partners with the CCSCO on the National Teacher of the Year program. More information about both organizations, as well as a link to other Teachers of the Year audio clips from the NWEA, are provided in the text accompanying this podcast. I speak for me the little voice that does not get voiced, and when it does, it does not get heard. I speak for me, the little bird in its own little cage in the land of free. I teach many little voices, young people in the land of free, bound by the limitations of their own tongue, and I believe that giving them the language is giving them freedom. Mies, please help me understand. Mies, se me olvidó. English, NL, summer, can you help me? They ask for help because they feel safe and accepted for what they are, children and young adults. They are here, some by choice, some a result of circumstances like war and violence, poverty, and other kinds of global crisis. Some of them saw their families slaughtered by the Burmese government soldiers. Another was a subject of gang rape in her home country of El Salvador at age 14, and is now here building future for her three-year-old son. Many cannot read their own language, for their education was interrupted at an early age, and many speak a dialect of indigenous peoples no one else understands. They are here. They are children and young adults, and they need our help. They bring the world with them, making our classrooms global, but lack the language to share their global perspective. So they sit here quietly, wishing not to be noticed or called to participate. It is our responsibility to invite them into our conversations, to explain to them our differences, and to accept theirs. They need love and someone to go to when everything hurts and nothing makes sense. They need a pillar that stands with them and for them. They need us. Teachers, I invite all of you to become the pillar, the person to go to, the person that makes a difference. I invite all of you to become their voice until they have the voice of their own. Let's not underestimate what EL students bring to the table, but let's make sure the table is built for them, not the table stacked with standardized testing booklets higher than their eye can see, but the table where acceptance 
compassion, and perseverance unite and create a vision of the successful future. Let's help them understand. Let's help them develop their voice. Like Edgar, who from ground zero mastered English to finally pass the English end of course assessment and advanced immediately after enrolling in a naval academy in Mexico for his dual language ability. Like Valente and Ana, who defied all odds and passed the state certified nursing assistant test in their fourth year of learning English and are now working and supporting their college studies. Like A, who wants to become a citizen without knowing the word citizenship. Like Raquel, who had a visionary dream about me winning the Indiana Teacher of the Year contest before I actually did. There is unimaginable potential. Let's embrace it. Let's give them voice. Yitka, welcome to Teaching Matters. We're so glad you can join us. Oh, thank you for having me. So I want to set the stage up a little bit by having you describe Logansport High School. I've never been to Logansport. Um, can you talk a little bit about the community, the high school, and, and the courses and the students that you teach? Certainly. So Logansport is a city. It's a county seat for Cass County. Um, they, it is located in north-central Indiana at the junction of uh, Babash and Eel Rivers approximately 75 miles north um, northwest of Indianapolis. So uh, the population of the city is over 18,000, and we have 35% of diversity in the city, out of which 21% is Hispanic and Latino origin. Um, and in terms of industries, uh, Logan Sport for many, many years um, uh, was um, really focused around transportation industries, um, now we're more diversified, and the Tyson Foods cur- um, currently is being the largest employer in the city, which explains our Hispanic and Latino population growth in recent years. Mm-hmm. Our Logansport High School, as you said, was established in 1871. Um, there are two unique features about our high school, which I have to brag. So our nickname is Berries, and we have the oldest mascot in the state of Indiana, established in 1926, and it is the Felix the Cat. We are a technology-based, diverse, comprehensive school with an attached state-of-the-art career center where 92% of our students have the opportunity to explore various career pathways. Our current enrollment is um, just over 1,200. We have 56% of white students, 38% are Hispanic and Latino, 6% of other ethnic groups. And our EL population is 37%. I speak about it because those are my students. And we have 53% of students who are participating in our free and reduced meal program. Mm -hmm. My 2018 and 19 courses will be English 9 and 10, um, E&L, which is mainly for the newcoming students um, who mostly come straight to the high school. And then I will have a newcomer, um, ENL lab, and I will also be teaching three EL academic lab classes. And this is a, a unique um, initiative that we're starting next year. This class or these classes will focus on students who are long-term English language levels. That means they have been level three and four English language learner for, for several years now, but they're aspiring to succeed academically and they continue um, or wish to continue their studies in post-secondary environments. So the the class will focus on further academic language development. 
So I, I think most of the listeners will know um, the background about what EL is, but maybe if you could describe um, sort of what it is, because you, you're teaching an English class, but my what you just said makes me think that you're embedding the English language instruction into that. Is that correct, or am I missing something there? That That is correct, yes. You said it beautifully. So first of all, the um, English language art in many states, uh, I mean, English language learner in many states, um, is identified um, as a learner whose home language is not English. Mm-hmm. And um, there are uh, many states who um, identify five levels of English language learning, with one being the lowest, um, which also means that the student has no English whatsoever as they freshly come, but they're identified as level one. And then the highest uh, is um, five, where students are actually exiting the services provided to the English language learner student population. Mm-hmm. And my specialty is teaching English language arts for the English language learners of mm-hmm. the levels one, two, three, and some four, right? Because there comes a point where the student is uh, promoted to a general mm-hmm. English language arts class. And in, in terms of, just just before we leave this, because I, I, we've not actually interviewed anyone on this podcast about this particular issue, so it's very interesting to me. Um, when you're teaching English language arts with the embedded language instruction, are the types of books that you might use from a literature standpoint the same as you would find in a, a traditional class? Are the types of writing assignments the same? Or, or how do you change your curriculum to meet the needs of uh, those students that you're, you're trying to you know, lift up in both areas, the academic and the language? Um, great question again. Thank you for asking because you, you, you're right. There is um, limited knowledge about the EL students, so I, I'm glad to talk about that. Um, the the question was about the materials. So, of course, these students are coming to me at very low levels of English ability or no English ability whatsoever. So, in terms of materials, those are different from a general ed um, English classroom. So, when you take a general ed English class, English 9 class, and my English 9 ENL class, we're using different materials and certainly different methods with Mm -hmm. the students. However, following the state standards mm-hmm. and so the, the for me I teach four different levels uh, of students of EL students so for me that means to follow standards for English 9, 10, 11, 12 in some cases and also there are WIDA specific WIDA standards that we um, will follow with these students so I have several sets of standards and um, but in terms of how I teach the standard and how I lead my students to master that standard, those will be different. So mm-hmm. you know, different readings, um, different text pieces, um, we're a one-to-one environment. So we have um, the advantage, we can take advantage of some of the uh, language learning materials that are offered either online or via applications. So, so that will be different, but I'm still held accountable as a, an Indiana teacher. Right. to fulfill the requirements of the Indiana standards within my curricula. That's really fascinating. Thank you for explaining that in, in such detail. If we move on, um, what what got you into teaching and, and sort of what's your story about how you became a teacher and why? Okay, so it uh, really was my second grade teacher. It was a long-term substitute teacher. We did not have him all year, but he really inspired me to 
to become a teacher, and that's um, when I told my family. And, of course, in that, I grew up in Czechoslovakia. So um, in that environment, at that time, for a girl, it was pretty normal to think that I was going to be a teacher. So it did not really surprise anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I had to complete all the requirements to... um, really be able to take that track. Uh, Because as you know, many European countries have certain tracks toward careers that begin at a very early age. So I had to have good grades. I had my GPA started counting in grade six towards the application for the high school. Um, I had to apply and pass an entry exam to um, be able to attend a college preparatory high school, which was the highest level of the high school academically that we we were offered as students, and then from there I attended teacher's training college at the University of Southern Bohemia. Now, it was also my high school English teacher who uh, was trying to inspire me to go into studying teaching English as a second language. Um, however, I did not feel strong enough at that time with the knowledge of the high school level English to mm-hmm. to apply. I just did not think I would be able to pass the entry exam for college. Um, so um, I applied for a different program. And so this was um, toward the end of my um, of my college studies, shortly before graduation, 1989, Velvet Revolution in uh, my country, in Czechoslovakia, the communist government uh, fell uh, mm-hmm. at that point. And uh, I was uh, merely a fresh graduate with the wrong degree college because I studied applied linguistics, two majors, Russian, uh, teaching Russian as a second (laughs) language, and music. And so now I had a degree in teaching the wrong language. (laughs) When I looked for a job, I was offered a job teaching English. So sometimes listening to teachers is a good thing Uh because I listened to my English high school English teacher who apparently knew, uh, obviously she knew the talent. She recognized the talent there and had I really listened to her, maybe had she pushed a little harder, um, I would not probably even be here. Mm -hmm. Um, So life is a journey and it takes us where it's supposed to take us. So I guess it was meant for me to be here with a little harder work. Um, because I graduated, I taught English um, in a middle school level. Uh, another interesting piece is in my country, um, uh, class through 12, uh, qualified teacher cannot go teach directly into the high school after graduating college. Hmm. Um, I had to start in the middle school and kind of make my worth or show my worth before I would down the road be invited to teach at the high school level. So that's, uh, that's how I got into teaching. The, the problem was that I did not have the teaching degree in English, teaching English as a second language. And so I taught, um, but then I had the opportunity to come to North America, and it was 1991, and it was a one-year contract. And I thought that in one year, I would learn all the English I knew <laughs> to go back and re-enroll in a college program and um, work on that additional degree in teaching as a second language. So, again, 1991, and I'm still here. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. You know, we, we don't often warn our graduates about the possibility of revolution interrupting their plans, but that's a, a, a fascinating story that you have about that. So, um, if we turn to uh, what we heard just a bit, a bit of time ago on the audio clip, 
You talked about this importance of helping students find their voice.、Um, as a communication scholar, that's something that I, you know, find to be very important as well. What What do you mean in terms of that relative to your students? What What, what about them finding their voice is unique,、um, maybe compared to some of the、uh, traditional English speaking students?、Uh, you know, you're dealing with a different type of student, so that idea of finding voice probably means something different for them. Um, yes, it does. When I saw this question on your、uh, script, then I thought in general, and then also about my students. So, in, in really, in general,、uh, voice—that is a sound we produce, whether we speak or, or sing. And as a music teacher, I know that a singer's voice will not develop unless one engages in the intentional practice of singing.、Mm-hmm. As a linguist, as a language teacher, in the language learning, speaking is the highest. And the most complex skill we can develop, and only when we can speak our thoughts and ideas without seeing any written representation of those ideas and words, then then only then we own the language. And I tell my students that also, and that cannot that can only be achieved if students engage in active speaking practices. And in terms of my students, well, my students are unique. Again, I have already mentioned that they come with. Some of them know English ability. Some of them very minimal, and many of them also come with、uh, minimal prior academic experience. However, they're coming with their expectations. They're coming with their values, opinions, beliefs, and perspectives that are culturally different from the country they're arriving in. And so, in my classroom, I feel like to to help my students. Uh, develop their voice.、Um, it really means several layers of different things. I need to help them to develop their language. They need to express those values, opinions. They need to be able to tell me what they think about something. So we're working on the language, but also I need to help them understand and feel safe enough to discuss those differences. At the value, their, the opinion they're bringing with them is based on some values they're bringing from their culture, and I need to help them understand what what is it that it looks like here, and so、mm-hmm. can navigate their thinking in in making sense of that. And then,、um, uh, as I also have to help them、um, have the language or develop the language to advocate for themselves. As a child, I was not able to really express myself in that that sense. Our my teachers were the authority in the classroom, and as children, we were not supposed to question, we were not allowed to question、uh, what they were teaching, what they were saying, and、um, I certainly was not to ask questions about my work. Um, or maybe not understanding or struggling with my work, because I was not supposed to look like I did not know. Right? I was supposed、mm-hmm. to be a, expected to be a good student, and any question about my work would make me look lesser than that. And many of my students are coming from cultures very similar to that.、Um, many of them do not know how to make an eye contact. With me, because in their culture they're not even supposed to look at a teacher. If they have to、uh-huh. look at teacher in the face, that means they're in a serious trouble. <laughs> and so we have to change these 
paradigms in their in their mind about how different it is and how safe it is and how okay it is to and how actually it is not okay if you're not making an eye contact in this culture. Uh, many of them do not know how to shake hands the way we expect the hands to be shaken. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the cultural differences where I can connect with students, with my students, because I know where they're coming from. And uh, so the, the the voice of advocacy for them is just simply asking questions. And with many of them, it may just ask them a simple question of to be excused to go to the restroom if they're not feeling well. Or asking that, why is my grade what it is? And or why am I being placed in this class? Um, so that advocacy of going and speaking for themselves, it, it that really is what it means for for me to to help my students to the students I service. Uh, coming through first hand experience and coming to a new country and really having to take time to discover a lot of things because I did not, I was not in school here. I was an adult. Right. So I just had to really discover a lot of the, <clears throat> these things on my own. And, um, and many times when I asked um, a Native American, um, Native-born American, the, they could not help me understand it either because there was just, this is how we do things. And there is no explanation for that, or, or they didn't know the background of that that issue. I needed explained. <clears throat> so, coming from a different country, I feel like I am able to help these students make shortcuts in understanding. So, for them, instead of taking years to understand something, I can teach it and mm-hmm. have them get through that hurdle faster. Yeah, in some ways, you're a perfect um, type of instructor for EL students because you've had to navigate that on your own. I I find that really interesting. I also appreciated what you said about how culture is one of the things that can be a barrier for students to find their own voice. Um, You know, the students that I deal with um, here at Ohio University are, are predominantly domestic students, though we do have a large number of international students. And so I see some of the same things that you described. I think it's also interesting that even for our domestic students, this idea of finding voice is challenging for them uh, because I would say that it, they, they oftentimes have difficult making the connection between their personal values and commitments and the things that are going on around them where they can have action. So, you know, if I firmly believe in something, will I actually be one of the students on the college green holding a protest sign or going to a meeting to talk out about it? And that that disconnect is true for domestic students as well for different reasons, I think. But it's I, I really love that metaphor that you use of finding voice or helping them cultivate their own voice. Let me switch gears and and talk about another metaphor that, that also really struck me. And your um, written materials that you submitted to the National Teacher of the Year Selection uh, Committee. You use the metaphor of cultivation to describe your teaching approach. Can you elaborate on that for the listeners? Oh, gladly. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, so I grew up in Czechoslovakia, and we had to do a lot of gardening because of the lack of food in the stores. So pretty much what the families did not produce, that's what we did not have or mm-hmm. did not have immediate access to. So when I was thinking about my philosophy of teaching, 
um, for the National Teacher of the Year application process, I thought of gardening, and I was thinking of um, contemplating a variety of virtues that teachers as well as the gardeners do. So I, my focus was on patience, first and foremost, um, right? That growing a garden is a journey, just like growing a classroom and growing a student is a journey, and that we have a different seeds that come with different predispositions and not all of them will grow the same way in our garden. And so we have to be patient with the, the ones that grow faster and, and the ones that go slower. The, if they grow faster, then we need to be more innovative with them um, so they did not just sit in our classroom and be done with their work and not know what to do next. And uh, and also, we have some seeds that need our special care, and then my seeds, my my flowers need language first that I need to teach mm. before they can be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I also um, wrote about um, being tolerant and flexible um, with our seeds and with our students. That we have some of those seeds that come that are different, that are, you know, sometimes in the end, unless it's time for dandelions right now, and we call them weeds. However, dandelion has medicinal properties, and mm-hmm. those that seeds in our classroom um, are medicinal for the teacher. I mean, they certainly cure my teacher ego, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I need to have my management skills to manage that in my classroom. Um, I also talked about setting high standards and high expectations, um, but at the same time knowing how we need the balance. If I water my garden, if I feed my students too fast, then I may end up with a wilted mess in my garden and I may end up with a discouraged student in a class. So there has to be a balance and there has to be enough time for reflection and and research um, about what other gardeners, what other teachers do, what are the experts saying about this phenomenon that's sitting in my classroom. And I also spoke about differentiating instructions for our students and being innovative and organized. And that really it is the garden that teaches me a lot about me and how I attend to my garden that is what is going to come back. Me, whether my flowers and vegetables grow or not, whether my students are succeeding. So um, the uh, importance of listening also came to the forefront when I was thinking about this being a teacher as a gardener in my classroom and really listen to what my students' needs are to be able to take care of them better. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated the way that you both just now described that metaphor and also in your written materials, you 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 approached it in a way that was self-critical of some of the, I mean, I've heard that metaphor used, you know, not a lot. I mean, you're unique in using it, uh, but the few times I've heard other people use sort of a gardening metaphor as a philosophy of teaching, um, they, they oversimplify it and you do not. And that was one of the things that really impressed me about your written materials, because you do interrogate how do you define what the flower versus the weed versus the, uh, you know, versus the herb is. And, and that's a really more complicated way of 
approaching it, and I really appreciated that. Uh, we're starting to run a little bit close on time, so I wanted to end with a question that is is difficult to answer because teaching is always situational. But if you were giving advice to new teachers entering the classroom, particularly given that they're likely, if not certainly, going to encounter students that um, you know that come from an EL background. What advice would you give them, and um, you know, what are some suggestions to sort of help them get through those new teachers, those those first several years that um, are really challenging? Uh, yes. So I, when I started teaching in the United States of America, after you know having all the travel break and changing my minors and majors and all that. <laughs> um, a seasoned teacher gave me this advice, and I will use it here as well, but then I'll add on to to it my own idea. So I was, even though as an English teacher, I do not like the word stuff for its generic nature, and I tell my <laughs> students are not allowed to use the word stuff in the classroom. <laughs> the advice I was given is threefold. Know your stuff. <laughs> know who you are going to stuff. And stuff them artistically. <laughs> and it really covers a lot of ground. Um, and I have been following that advice. And really, once in a while, when I reflect on my teachings, I am doing those three things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say uh, in, in teaching, I think what is important is to believe that the glass is half full. Um, with my students especially, I have battled this narrative that the glass is half empty because they do not know the, the language. Um, but there is an unlimited potential in every child, in every student, and so we need to have that belief in the first place. We also need to believe that every student is created to show their unlimited potential, and our job really is to help them to uh, to to cultivate that or to to experience that voice they have within them, um, to bring it up and to be able to use it. Um, uh, we have a tendency sometimes to expect less of our students. My motto really is to expect more rather than less because mm-hmm. the students really expect of us more than less. Mm-hmm. And to also demand that the students take responsibility for their learning because that is my biggest joy and my biggest success. When I see that the student um, understands the success they're making and the improvements they're making and then they're owning it. And uh, that really is helping me to teach my students to be set on growth and learning for life. Because when if they know when they were, when they are, and when they're heading, then they can make set higher goals, uh, create better, uh, better goals for themselves for the future, and they can also be better at using their voice to advocate for their future. And if we do all of this, I believe that every teacher is going to be a hero for somebody in the classroom every day. And I also believe that all of the teachers are teachers of the year for many in the classroom every day. Well, you you can't help but be inspired by the words that you just spoke. It's very uplifting for the profession, uh, and I think uplifting for the students as well. So I really appreciate that. And um, I'm going to butcher this, but just so you can have a little link back to the major that you chose, but but in retrospect, wouldn't have, I will say Spasiba and Dasvidanya. Oh, Dasvidanya. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I certainly appreciate that. And um, yeah, good luck with the 
But the more teacher the interviews, you're conducting more of them, yes? Thank you so much. Yes, we're going to do do some others, and, and we do a lot of other topics as well, but it's been great having you as a guest, and I want to extend an invitation that if you ever have uh, something that you want to talk about, a project, um, a success story with a student, um, we would love to have you back on. You have a very compelling message, and um, your, your message is uplifting, and I think we need to hear more about that with respect to the profession. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Very good. My guest today was Yika Nelson, the 2017 Indiana Teacher of the Year. The text accompanying the podcast provides links describing the Teacher of the Year program and also to the NWEA website hosting other interviews with state and national Teacher of the Year awardees. Thank you for listening to Teaching Matters, produced by WOUB Public Media. You can always listen at woub.org slash listen. We're also available through several popular podcasting apps, including Google Play, iTunes, and NPR One. You can contact staff of the podcast with ideas, questions, or comments through our Facebook page. Simply go on to Facebook and search for Teaching Matters Podcast. Our audio engineer today is Adam Rich, and our assistant producer is Katie Johnson. I'm Scott Titsworth. Have a great day.